We continue reading in the fifth chapter of Acts, the 27th verse. Listen for God's word for you. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The word of the Lord. Greta and Claudia, Charlie and Jacob, Macy and Audrey, Hannah and Caroline, Annie. This sermon is for you as you finish your confirmation experience and you don't even have to outline it. Today, complete your confirmation experience with you standing before the congregation and professing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and making a commitment to serve as His disciples in the world. After standing up here, looking out at the congregation and professing your faith, when you leave church today, you might ask yourself, well, now what? No more sermon outlines, no more Bible readings, at least required Bible readings. No more meetings with your mentor, no more reflection questions. So, now what? The question has both concrete implications as, now what are you going to do with that little bit of extra time you have in your week? But it also has theological implications. As in, now what does it mean about God and God's claim on my life? Now what is the question the early followers of Christ faced as they tried to figure out how to respond to the resurrection? Now what for them also had concrete and theological implications? Now what were they supposed to do? How were they supposed to act now that Christ, whom they had seen dead on the cross, was alive. And now what did it say to them about this God and what God was doing in their lives? The book of Acts, which is formally titled The Acts of the Apostles, reveals how those early followers answered the question, Now what? So let's take a few minutes, reflect on the passage we read from Acts, and maybe get a couple of clues of how you might answer the next question. Maybe we'll soon be writing the book entitled, The Acts of the Confirmands of 2019. We must obey God rather than any human authority. 
That's what Peter and the apostles tell the council when they are brought before them and questioned as to why they are acting as they are. They had been told not to teach in the name of Jesus Christ and for sure quit talking about the resurrection. I suppose they could have just told fun stories about Jesus. Remember that day we were walking with Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, blah, blah, blah. Or remember that time we were all out there and we ate with everyone on the hill? But no, they had to teach in the name of Jesus. They had to talk about resurrection. And the problem for the authorities was the, those, those conversations got people excited, got them riled up as they, they pondered what God was going to do in their lives, how they could be new creations with lots of possibilities, made them wonder what else God could do since God could even overcome death. And the authorities want to put a stop to that kind of thinking. So they said, no more teaching in the name of Jesus. No more talking about resurrection. But Peter and the apostles kept on teaching in the name of Jesus and talking about resurrection. So they're brought in front of the council again. As Peter answers, it doesn't seem to me that he's being particularly belligerent. He's not trying to prove a point. He's not trying to seize power from the council. He simply notes that all they can do is follow God. And if that means not doing what the council tells them, then they don't do what the council tells them. You profess your faith today. Not in some generic way, but in the name of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, you link your life with Him. You lay claim to your calling as a disciple of Christ, and you declare that your ultimate allegiance is to God, whom you have come to know through Jesus Christ and by the power of of the Holy Spirit. That does not mean you no longer have to obey your parents. It doesn't mean that the rules at school no longer apply or the laws that govern us no longer have authority over you. Peter and the apostles were not trying to get around rules and obligations, but they were explaining to everyone how what they were going to do in their life what they were going to talk about and how they were going to live was going to grow out of their belief in the God who resurrects. As you publicly declare your commitment to following Christ, you say that you are going to make decisions about how you will act or what you will or will not do or what you want to do with your life. You will do all those things as a response to the God who has claimed you, the God of resurrection. When we baptize infants in this congregation, we often note that the parents, the family that gather there have all sorts of hopes and dreams for the baby, but in that moment, they do not know what the future will hold for their child. 
But we do know that they want that baby to grow up in a community of faith and profess their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Today you have grown to that point. You confirm the vows your parents made at your baptism. Your parents may have a little better idea of who you are than they knew on that day, or maybe you have them more confused now than when you were babies. Either way, your future is still uncertain. There is still no telling what you might do or who you might become. Your future is full of endless possibilities. But today you announce to the world that you have decided that whatever you do, whatever you become, God will be a part of it. And you will look to God for guidance and live your life as a follower of Christ. We also hear Peter tell the council we are witnesses to these things. Trying to figure out the now what question when it comes to I profess my faith in Jesus Christ, now what can be rather intimidating. That's fair. It probably ought to intimidate not just you, but all of us. Choosing to follow Jesus Christ is a big deal. Trying to figure out exactly what it means to follow Jesus may be overwhelming. It will certainly shift over time as we continually rethink what we believe and how we see God at work in our lives and the world. The affirmation of faith that you wrote and shared with the session will be different 10 years from now. Some will be the same, but it will change as you grow and experience God in your life in different ways. I think Peter gives us a great way of thinking about how we respond. We act as witnesses. You don't have to have it figured out perfectly. You do not have to have the one correct answer. You don't have to convince anyone about who Jesus Christ is. You can be like Peter and be a witness who says, I've seen something. And it's worth telling. Why don't you listen? Like when you see some weird thing happen in the hallway at school and you go into the class and go, man, you're not going to believe what I just saw happen. And you describe what took place. You may not know why it happened. You may not know what's the outcome going to be for those people. You may not know all of the facts about it, but you know what you saw. You may not know everything there is to know about God or following Jesus Christ, but you know how you have seen God at work. You know what it means for you that Christ is resurrected. So you tell others what you have experienced. Witness, of course, is more than telling. It's also how you live your life. There's a story told about a Civil War chaplain. And, of course, you all know that the Civil War was the war in which St. Andrew found its first days as a church. This chaplain encountered a wounded man in the battlefield. Would you like to hear a few verses of Scripture, he asked. No, sir. But I'm thirsty. Could you give me some water? So he gave him some water. 
And as he gave him the water, he said, Would you like for me to read you some scripture? No, sir, but could you put something under my head? And so he did, made a little pillow, and as he leaned down, he said, Would you like for me to read you some scripture as you rest your head? No, sir, but I'm cold. Could you cover me up? The chaplain took off his overcoat and placed it over the wounded man. This time he knew not to ask about reading scripture. He knew the answer, so he stood up and began to walk away. And then the wounded man called after him, Sir, if what you were going to read from that book is what made you treat me the way you did, then I'd like to hear a few words from that book. Witnessing through action. Wednesday night, you shared your faith statements with the session. As I heard you all do your very different faith statements, none the same. But they had a common thread. Each of you connected your belief in God with your own life. Connecting it to dancing or your family's history or the stars in the sky or camp experience or your conversations with parents or youth group or mission opportunities. As I heard you share your faith, you revealed how your beliefs showed up in the particularity of your lives. How you live your lives, both your actions and your words, what you do and say at school, on the soccer or football fields, at dance and band, wherever you find yourself each day. Those words and those actions will be your witness to what you believe God has done and is doing in the world. Now what? Now you live into the incredible possibilities God puts before you, before you, Annie, before you, Greta, before you, Charlie, and you, Jacob, and you, Hannah, and you, Audrey, and you, Macy, and you, Claudia, and before you, Caroline, you all are witnesses in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.